A reminder to our insurance brokers that this podcast is eligible for half a CPD point from NEBA. Stay tuned until the end of the episode for details on where you can go to generate your certificate. Welcome to NTI Spotlight, the show that shines a spotlight on the transport, construction, marine and cargo industries and the people who power them. Today we're going to be talking about the road to zero emissions for heavy vehicles. There's certainly a lot of talk in transport and logistics media of alternate fuels and zero emission vehicles. So we'll talk to our panel of experts about what's on the horizon and what operators and their brokers need to know as they transition towards a zero emissions future. I'm joined, of course, by a panel of experts from NTI. Firstly, we have NTI's National Product Manager for Heavy Motor Package, Alicia Hill. Thanks, Lou. We're also joined by Brooke Caldwell, NTI's National Product Manager for Heavy Motor Fleet. Thank you. And we also have Richard Gibson with us today, who's NTI's National Manager for Repair Quality and Incident Response. That's a mouthful, Gibbo. Welcome. Thanks, Luke. Thanks for the intro. And it is, it's uh, the, the jack of all trades. I'm going to start with you, Richard. Why does net zero matter in 2023 for the heavy vehicle sector? I keep reading about it in, in industry media. Why is it important? Uh, it's, it's a good question. Um, I, th- I think you've got to really look at it in its basic format. Uh, if you were to look at you know, the global consumption of diesel, um, the fact that road freight contributes to 6% of global emissions and then start breaking it down a little bit. Uh, for me, Australia, and when we look at how that, uh, how that challenges the heavy vehicle side of our, our business uh, and the sector, um, you start weighing down, you know, all the diesel that goes into a truck, uh, all the, the oils, tyres, so forth. Uh, what it takes to actually service and deliver freight to all corners of Australia, uh, which we do on an hourly, daily basis, 24-7, 365. Um, when you weigh that up and have a think about it, it's a big part of what we do because those are the, those are the things that contribute to why we are 6% of the total global emissions. Um, so it is a big question. Um, you know, Australia's unique in how we actually have such width in the country height you know you name it we, we're going all different directions all the time um you know how are we going to how are we going to differentiate ourselves from a response uh, i guess versus the rest of the world um no one has the problems that we have or i should say challenges that we have um and, and as australians i think we should absolutely lead lead what our response is and, and tell them make it to what we want it to be um you know, no point applying the same principles to a small country versus a large country. So this is our chance uh, as a heavy vehicle sector to sort of, you know, work on that common goal and what that means for us, um, I guess, at the rate that we need to and make ourselves sustainable along the way and and, and meet the challenges that have been set out for us. Um, so so what have we got at the moment in terms of standards? Is there anything that, that heavy vehicle manufacturers or organisations need to adhere to? Yeah, so currently we're looking, uh, we're, we're under the Euro 4 phase uh, at the moment, which will will be 
sort of phased out, I guess, by 20, 2024, November 2024. Um, I mean, if you had to look at the Euro 5, Euro 6 emissions, um, there's there's always another emission standard coming out. Um, you know, that, that takes care of, I guess, our internal combustion engine that serves to say, well, I mean, we can all think back as long as we like and the fact that diesel has been, you know, a long-term solution for us for so long. Um, it's that opportunity now, as those rules are shifting, to start thinking about what what other options we have in relation to fuel alternatives that we we put in those vehicles. So, um, as they're being phased out, those Euro four emissions are being phased out. Uh, it's a good opportunity to take that next step and you know think about what the diversification of your powertrain looks like. You're nodding there, Brooke. What are your thoughts? Yeah, so um, Euro 6 is already in place in the EU and UK with the equivalent standards also applying in most developed countries like the US and Japan. Um, it's interesting that Australia-based um, truck manufacturers and importers have actually been calling for the introduction of Euro 6 standards for a number of years now, Luke. Um, Euro 6 will actually mean manufacturers must add to, um, the advanced safety and fuel saving technologies to Australian models and um, that's what other countries have at present. So this will help improve the safety of our safety outcomes and contribute to our emissions reductions targets per the Paris Agreement. So Brooke, let me ask you, I keep hearing the term zero emission vehicles, ZEVs. It keeps popping up in, in everything that I'm reading. What is it? Okay, so a zero emission vehicle, unlike our existing um, vehicles that we have in Australia, create no tailpipe emissions. That means that it has no carbon um, footprint uh, when it's in operation. So we're talking about your full battery electric vehicles. We're talking about hydrogen fuel cell um, and hydrogen fuel vehicles. So it, it sounds like we have a way to go to get there. Richard, I might turn to you. What are the different technology types and vehicle types that we have uh, available in Australia at the moment or that we're we're experimenting with in Australia to help us get to that zero emissions point? Well, first of all, we've got the existing fleet, I guess, of diesel internal combustion vehicles and obviously they're compliance with uh, the high euro standards. So that'll be that'll be the stuff that we see coming through so so far. Um, the reality is that we've also got that that mixture of what Brooke just mentioned there before in relation to uh, we do have vehicles on road that have have the battery packs in them. Mixture of locations depending on which brand or manufacturer you're looking at. They can be between chassis rails, uh, chassis rails. They can be loaded in from the side. Uh, we did see that old tech in relation. It's hard to say it's old tech when it sort of it was only around a couple of years. But the you know loading loading uh, batteries in through the front, actually making the batteries accessible so they can be replaced. Uh, in, in a quick time frame as opposed to charging them and so forth. Uh, we are seeing a mix of that hybrid technology as well. So if you were to look at it, I mean, the existing stuff that is sort of there and, and going through, we've still got the diesel, we've got the hybrid, we've got that uh, fuel cell, that um, that FEV technology, I guess you could call it, in relation to the full electric. And and we know for a fact that there is um, we do have the odd hydrogen truck getting tested on the roads at the moment as well. So that is technology that, you know, it feels like a long time ago we were talking about when's that going to turn up and it's here getting tested now. So that is a thing. So when we hear about a, a, a truck with a battery in it, is it much like a, a, an electric car that we see uh, driving around where we, we plug the battery in and recharge it back at the depot or, or back at back at base? 
Uh, simply, yeah. It's it's a um, the technology. Whilst in, in theory, the technology is exactly the same, right? It's a it's a battery pack, it's a motor, and everything. Obviously, considering the weight of a of a truck, whether it be a prime mover or a rigid, you got to factor in weight. Um, how the motors react to that uh, weight that it's involved with, so whether that be the, the the torque involved and all the rest of it, and how how that drains the battery and so forth. So, whilst in principle, probably the same as a car. Um, but as far as the technology and and how we best utilise uh, that battery and and the motors in that drivetrain, it's it's com- it's probably completely different to a car as far as how it's set up. And I've heard as well, Brooke. I might ask you about this one that uh, there's also a model being used by at least one manufacturer of batteries that are taken in and out of the vehicle. Yeah, absolutely. There's an Australian company that is using an interchangeable battery uh, model for their vehicles. So they modify um, existing trucks from OEMs and they change out the technology to add in motors and batteries and then those batteries are interchangeable. And what that means is instead of plugging in the truck and waiting for it to charge, they could go back to depot or they could go to um, certain fuel stations that may um, have interchangeable batteries there and then they can get changed within three to four minutes and then they can keep on with their travels. So we know that that particular um, company is doing a lot of trials at present and we will be involved in some of those trials um, as customers approach us. Very exciting. I I can't imagine seeing batteries sitting out at the the petrol stations with the soda stream and the gas canisters that you just uh, swap (laughs) it over, but but that's where we're heading, I guess. Well, well, they might not be sitting there. They're a little bit bigger than that. little bit more expensive, I imagine, too. You mentioned hydrogen, Richard. How does that work? How is the hydrogen approach working? Oh, in a simplistic term, from a fuel perspective, a lot more like, I, I guess, uh, as opposed to electric, uh, it'll feel a little, very similar to what would be our diesel tech as far as having a motor that's combusting a fluid. Um, you know, without going into the intricate details of it, that's what it'll feel like having fuel tanks on the side or having tanks on the side of a, a truck that are capable of carrying uh, a certain capacity of hydrogen, uh, being able to fill up in a very similar format to what um, diesel fills up at the moment. Uh, and then, you know, continuing that freight task, I guess, in a in a very similar way with a very familiar sort of feel about it. Um, Obviously, that's the black and white of it, um, but it's far more complex than that. It's a it's a completely new fuel type. Um, obviously, if it was that easy, everyone would be doing it right now uh, because it is the is the cleaner, or I guess the, the zero emission option as far as what comes out of the exhaust pipe. Um, so if it was straightforward, we'd be all on the bandwagon. But as with most things, the technology um, will evolve. It'll become cheaper and more accessible to everyone along the way. Um, and hopefully, yeah, it solves a problem for us, I guess, that, that target we're all trying to reach for. Yeah, and um, just on the hydrogen fuel. So um, to get the same energy density in hydrogen fuel as they do from diesel, um, we know that they need to actually chill it down to minus 250 degrees um, Celsius. So um, obviously that creates a bit of work for fuel stations um, and then having enough fuel stations along the way to be able to f- refuel hydrogen. 
Um, and then there's other considerations that truck drivers will have to have, such as understanding like the burn-off aspect of hydrogen fuel. So um, really interesting in that space, and we look forward to seeing what comes from it. So there's a lot of challenges. Uh, there's a lot that's still being learnt uh, about these alternative fuels. Richard, I'll, I'll turn back to you to start. How do you see it all unfolding? How do you see these technologies being applied to the transport industry in Australia? Uh, it, it'll come down to a few factors. Um, as, as a different technology becomes available, it'll be, it will come down to the, I guess, each and every individual fleet of trucks or owner-operator of a vehicle will have to take on board I guess the problem problem statement that they've got themselves and then weigh up, you know, the different tasks they have, the dis- distances, um, the freight loads they, they factor in. And then as the technology becomes available to them, um, really approaching that from a, a fresh set of lens. Like, you know, we're all in this together and, you know, it is that new technology can appear at, at times daunting. Um, but the reality is it's tested, tried and true uh, to some extent. So, you know, making sure that when you weigh up all those different things, you're, you're sitting there going, right, that's actually an alternative for me now. Uh, there's legislation, there's so forth coming through. Um, I've got this option of going down, whether it be hybrid, electric or hydrogen um, as an option now. Um, let's let's get on board. Let's try that. Alicia, what are you seeing in terms of the take-up of um, alternative fuel vehicles in terms of NTI's portfolio? A lot like what Richard has talked about four years ago, we saw um, the introduction, let's call it, in Australia uh, at the truck show. And at that point, we had had a few um, queries, I suppose, from some of those different manufacturers, the partnerships that we've had along the way. And in the last year, or even the last six months, I would say that that is really ramped up significantly. So we've started seeing um, partnerships, queries, you know, um, requests for information on a weekly basis into each of the three different types of um, ZEVs that are sort of in the market at the moment, as well as the new ones that are evolving. So while we don't have significant numbers on in the portfolio right now, I could probably say by the end of next year, we would have more significant numbers than we would have imagined four years ago, because it's just, it's, it's, um, it's really accelerated more than I had imagined. Um, I think more than anyone has imagined. So, And Brooke, if there's a, a transport operation at the moment that is thinking about this, considering this and what it might mean for their business, uh, what what's the best approach for them to look into alternative fuels? Yeah, so we know that Australia is significantly different to other parts around the world. So, you know, primarily we live on the eastern seaboard, but more generally we live on the coasts, right? So there is a, a big gap up the middle of Australia where there's not a lot of people living, not a lot of fuel stations, but yet we still have to transport goods, right? So so the biggest concern is whether or not the vehicles that are available are up to the task. And through our discussions with OEMs and vehicle conversion providers, we've found that if the customer has a a good chat, make sure they provide lots of information about what their freight task is and where they need to go, um, OEMs quite often have solutions, 
particularly in the short to medium space at the minute. Um, and there's a lot of uh, fear at the moment about whether or not it's up to up to snuff. And it absolutely is. And, and our OEMs have shown us that. So we just strongly encourage chat to the OEMs, let them know what you need the vehicle to do. And they'll probably actually find that solution for you. So I might turn to you, Richard, on this one. If operators want to adopt this technology, does our infrastructure in Australia support that at the moment? Oh, it's a yes, um, very tricky one because if you're thinking along the lines of what Brooke mentioned before around the newest of the new technology that just only hit the market as far as hydrogen is concerned, it's, you know, the, there's a question mark there. But with all new tech solutions come, uh, it, it'll, it'll turn up. Um, in relation to the infrastructure around how our service providers react, whether they be, you know, tow providers, um, even from an insurance aspect, our accident uh, response um, and solutions. As the technology comes through, we're learning more and more. And I guess in some ways the pathway was already set around how you respond to batteries and so forth. Um, vehicles have had them for quite some time. Hybrid technologies existed since, I guess, the early to mid-2000s. So we, we know some plans along the way around how we react to that um, as far as how whether you're reacting from an accident perspective or you know a service perspective or how you're going to do this you know full end of life you know life uh, the life cycle I guess of the vehicle itself we're learning more and more in that space um, but the reality is that yeah there's there's solutions coming into play as we go along uh, I think we're getting more and more information. The manufacturers like to uh, to work with everyone in this space because you know they want their product to succeed as well. So the reality is that more information we get, the more you know we can share and plan for what we need to do and how we respond to that. Um, not only as insurers, I guess, as an overall transport sector, would probably be the fair answer. It was mentioned earlier about the 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 weight of of batteries being put into trucks how that may affect different operators if they're, you know, does it affect their their carrying capacity or does the road infrastructure support vehicles that are weighing a little bit more? Where are we at in terms of that, Brooke? Yeah, so there's currently two, two parts to that question um, that I'd like to touch on. So currently there is an axle weight restriction within Australia and that's imposed by uh, state governments. And as compared to what... Um, is around the world, so Europe and, and USA, um, we have problems at the moment. So um, about a tonne difference in the axle weight um, restriction. And then the other part to the issue is the width of the vehicles that we can get. So OEMs are um, building vehicles to a width of 2.55 metres to 2.6 metres. And in Australia, we only have 2.5 metres. So um, those two parts mean that we're actually restricted in the amount of batteries that can be in a, in a vehicle um, and therefore restricts range as well and or payload, depending on what the payoff is. And so what that means is that uh, with different axle restrictions as well, that if someone had a, uh, a truck that had a, a heavy battery in it that had been converted, they may have to carry less freight as well? Correct. Yes, that's right. They have to reduce their payload in turn. That's right. So, Brooke, what does that mean for an operator um, in terms of running their business? Does it mean that they they have to do 
carry less freight in their vehicle? Yeah, so with um, the weight of batteries being significantly heavier, the, the payoff is that they have to have a reduced payload. So our customers are already running on thin margins. So that is a concern for transport operators out there. And potentially that would mean then more trucks are needed to carry the same amount of freight, more trucks heading to ports, more trucks um, heading into to distribution centres because they can't carry as much. Yes, that would that would be the case unless um, government changes what they do. And we know the Queensland government is looking at some special permits at the moment um, to uh, allow some trucks in with heavier axle weights. So, Alicia, I might um, turn to you on this one. From an insurance perspective then, what are we doing to encourage or, or accommodate the uptake of uh, alternative fuel vehicles? Yeah, um, it's a great question. Something that we've been looking at at NTI for, for quite a long time, actually, about how we can get in on the ground and try and support them from an insurance point of view, as well as um, repairs, um, claims, all of those points of views as well. But um, from a coverage point of view, it's really about making sure that we understand the risk. So, uh, the product managers at NTI have been and visited OEMs, visited um, conversion manufacturers, um, visited the places that we need to be to understand some of the technology that's coming through and the emerging technology that might be on the way as well so that we can provide um, coverage and pricing um, and conditions that really meet the need. And it's about building those into our products uh, moving forward because we know that this is about to be um, significant parts of our portfolio and in the end it will probably make up most of our portfolio in the very long term. So thinking about all of the the accessories and the modifications and the attachments that um, ZEVs have, the different fuel types and the risks to NTI and how we can manage those risks where the liabilities sit. For example, if you've got a, um, a non-owned battery in one of the, the battery swap type conversion technologies, um, considering each of the parts of those and just making sure that our wordings um, and our pricing really reflect um, the right cover and being able to offer that extensively and working with partners to being able to offer that extensively as well. And I imagine that if any of our broker partners have questions uh, about what it might mean for their clients or for cover, uh, they can certainly reach out to to you or Brooke or, or their local NTI rep. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, Brooke and I are the ones who have been on the ground from the product point of view into this and um we, we think we've got a good grasp of what's out there and how we can support um, anyone who wants to look at a partnership or just get some cover from us. You mentioned as well repairs. Gibbo, this is probably your space to answer here. In terms of repairs, what, what are we doing to work with repairers to make sure they're, they're across all of the new technologies? Yeah, it's a, it's a challenge we'll, we'll take up. Obviously, with the repair aspect, we've also, when we talk about government, we've also got a um, I guess in some aspects, you know, we've got to accommodate that side of it as well because the reality is that we're already seeing special licensing coming through for technicians and so forth that have um, got to go through training to to work on electric vehicles, um, whether it be someone that's, you know, effectively changing something fairly insignificant on the truck. Um, if you've got to decommission a battery, recommission a battery, you've got to be aware of what you're dealing with because, you know, the power packs involved are quite, substantial and, and you know if treated the wrong way you can cause a lot of damage not only to the product but potentially yourself as well so from a safety aspect uh, and then when you get to the repairer side of things um, 
absolutely working with our repairers, our, our service providers, our tow operators, um, you know, everyone in that chain. Um, we've got to work as closely as we can uh, to make sure that we're upskilled in that environment to deal with the powertrain that's come along um, and, and the technology. I mean, you, you want to return that uh, and, you know, you want to return that to the road as in, in new condition, basically. So how, how it left the road, we've got to return it to that condition on the road um, and, and safely as effectively as possible. Um, yeah, you've got to reduce that time off road and things like all those key things that are important to NTI and how we, you know, how we service a vehicle when it's been through an unfortunate incident. Um, they all still carry on to that new technology. So we've got to work closely with those operators. But then in the same token too, you know, everyone everyone in this food chain's part of that part of that solution. So we'll work closely with the OEMs along the way and and if we need more information from them, um, provide feedback to them at the same time and say, look, we've seen the XYZ, do the trend analysis on it, um, and, and really work on some better solutions moving forward, then we will absolutely be involved with that. That's a, it's a big part of what we do. I'll, I'll throw this one out to the group. We've spoken about insurance. Outside of that, what investments or incentives do you think will be key to gaining wider adoption of ZEVs? Alicia, I'll start with you. There's a couple of barriers, I think, that exist now widely across the ZEV um, take-up, mar- the market take-up, um, particularly for transport operators. Um the vehicle's availability, first of all, I mean, other countries outside of Australia have um, much higher availability of these types of vehicles and new technology, I would say. So first of all, you've got the barrier to just vehicles becoming available and matching the needs for transport operators. The infrastructure, like we've already discussed, there's um, there's issues with the current infrastructure, even just for electric vehicle, let alone thinking about hydrogen electric or hydrogen fuel supply vehicles. Um, and the other thing is probably price, which I think Richard has already touched on, is that there there is a premium being paid for these vehicles at this point in time, but that will come down. So it's perhaps um, government incentive, um, financial incentives to be able to meet the needs of transport operators and also fall in line with meeting our targets for 2035 or 2050. And just and just on that from an incentives or um, financial solution, and we know that um, some of the associations have started to look at this and lobby government, um, they're looking to um, lobby government to see whether or not um, vehicles can be depreciated on a shorter time frame. So the initial capital expenditure on zero emission vehicles is... Um, in sometimes double what a, a standard fuel emission vehicle is, a fossil fuel vehicle is. And so if um, those transport operators can depreciate those on a faster time frame, like five years, it actually makes it a much more viable proposition for them. Anything from you, Gibbo? Yeah, look, I'd like to add to it, look, the infrastructure investment, um, obviously from various governments and energy sectors to make, you know, when we talk about range and and how the vehicles are going to be, you know, for one term charged or fueled along their journey and so forth, that investment needs to take place. I, I think to add to that too, there needs to be, uh, I guess, an emotional investment from the wider trucking community in in relation to uh, adoption of change um, and, and not to be scared of what what's coming. Uh, I, I think there's an exciting future here um, as far as you know challenging that new tech and um, 
you know, fuel options and so forth. Um, so it's worth doing the research on it and really understanding as opposed to, you know, putting up the brick wall. You know this thing's coming and it's coming at a rapid rate. Um, so be part of that, of that change. And I think that's probably the biggest test as an industry um, is to have that emotional investment uh, and, and really do your homework on it and understand it that it's, you know, there's some really good options out here. And when this comes through, there's some good solutions to how we move freight around Australia. I agree with that. I think there's a there's a piece missing in all of this, and it's the education of the the current transport industry as a body, um, which I know that the industry is actually working really hard towards. And I think that there's probably some role that government can play as well, and some communication that needs to go out because it has come so quickly, um, and people are obviously scared of change. It's it's just natural human emotion. So I think we could really work towards um, education, communication, um, and a good change through that. Certainly an exciting time uh, for the industry, um, especially hearing how quickly that adoption of alternative fuel vehicles has happened. I know we've got the truck show coming up again this year uh, in May, the Brisbane truck show, and uh, it's exciting to think what we will see there. We'll leave it there. Thanks to our panel of experts for joining us today. Thanks, Brooke, Alicia and Richard. And uh, we hope to have you back on NTI Spotlight soon. Thanks, Luke. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everyone. Thanks again for listening to NTI Spotlight. For insurance brokers looking to generate a CPD certificate for this episode, please visit partner.nti.com.au forward slash ZEV podcast. That URL again is partner nti.com.au forward slash ZEV podcast.